Oopsla podcast brings you up to speed on topics covered at this year's Oopsla conference in Montreal, Canada. For more information, visit the conference website at oopsla.org. Mesdames, Messieurs, bienvenue encore. Mais, uh, mais c'est fait avec un petit morceau de tristesse. Um, welcome again, but this time with um, uh, 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 a small amount of sadness because it is the last afternoon of Uppsala 2007. But I promise it will be a sensational afternoon. Um, our speaker uh, this afternoon is Professor Patty Maas. Um, her name became known in the Uppsala community uh, for her key work on reflection, uh, which was selected as the best paper of Uppsala 1987. Uh, more recently, it was also selected as one of the best papers of the first decade of Uppsala. Now, when we did that, which was last year, uh, we invited her back uh, to talk about the work since then in honor of that uh, uh, in, in honor of that influential paper of that time, and as I understand it, uh, she decided at that point that she was so far from that work uh, that um, she didn't have anything to say by way of follow-up. Now, uh, of course, um, those of you who followed her work will know that a lot of it from that time uh, was work on agents, which is an idea which has followed, sometimes crossing, sometimes in parallel with the world of objects. So uh, when I go to look at her um, current work, her recent work, um, mostly what I see is a kind of a whoosh, a blur. Um, she does so much, I find it hard to keep track of what she's doing at the most. And I recently found out that she had an administrative appointment too, which absolutely appalls me. Um, still, I find their commonality in the work that she is doing now and we'll talk about today with what I see as something which has emerged in a number of talks uh, that we've had in the conference, and that is looking at software as something that both surrounds us and includes us. Please welcome Professor Patty Maas. Thanks, Robert, for that very nice introduction. So um, the last Uppsala conference that I attended was actually the one in 87, so exactly 20 years ago. <laughs> And um, to talk about my PhD thesis work on reflection and meta-level architectures, etc. But after my PhD, I actually completely switched to different fields, did some work in robotics for a while, and most recently in human-computer interaction. And in fact, um, I was so worried about coming here and talking here to this crowd that Last night, I looked at the Wikipedia web pages for object-oriented programming just to make sure that I familiarized myself again with the terminology and all of that. I didn't read my own thesis again, so don't ask me any questions about that. Um, but so I won't be talking about uh, programming languages all that much, nor about or uh, not about object-oriented programming. Um, instead, what I want to tell you a little bit about is uh, the work that I've been doing for the last four or so years, and um, which is more in the area of human-computer interaction and uh, mixed reality types of systems. Uh, but I'll point out some links that may exist uh, to this uh, community and the topics that interest uh, you guys. So the problem that I've been interested in in the last 
four or five years is that there is a wealth of information available about everything around us. Um, if I find a book on a bookshelf, um, I can go to the web and look up reviews and ratings and do keyword searches in that book and find out what books it get referenced or reference this particular book, etc. Um, if I meet a person for the first time, I can go and Google them or, or check what their web pages look like at LinkedIn or at one of those social networking sites. I can figure out whether we know any people in common, things like that. Um, if I'm um, in a particular location, say visiting um, well, a city that I don't know or something, I can, of course, find, um, um, well, locate maps and find out where the best restaurants are that they, I may enjoy, etc. But unfortunately, all of this information isn't easily accessible when we are on the move, and as such, it doesn't get consulted. Um, we, uh, many of us have iPhones or smartphones, but we never really use the web browser on those phones when we're in the middle of something to say, like, excuse me while I shake your hand, let me quickly Google you or see whether we know anyone in common. Or when we come across uh, uh, some object or a product or when we're shopping, we don't typically look up all this relevant information um, on our phone because it's just too cumbersome, it's too difficult. So the goal of my research is to basically link this rich world of information and services into our physical environment in such a way that whenever we're doing stuff, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can have very easy, seamless access to information and services that are relevant to whatever is around us and whatever context we find ourselves in. So what I'll do actually today is give you, um, um, tell you about a number of projects that are underway in my research group. I have about seven grad students that all work on sort of slightly different variations uh, uh, on this uh, theme. And I'll talk um, with you about those and point out some interesting opportunities for um, people in this community to get involved in this type of research. So uh, this is one of our earliest um, uh, projects, actually. Um, it's a wristband that has a wireless RFID reader. Um, I was reading a lot about um, RFID tags and the um, sort of uh, the electronic product code that is, has been introduced in the last couple of years. And there's a lot of research about how RFID tags on the products all around us can improve business processes like inventory mechanisms and supply chain optimization and so on. But I started thinking, well, what if everything has an RFID tag? What if every book, every object around us has an RFID tag? Um, that means that we have uh, an ID, an identifier for every uh, object. And if we can read that identifier fairly easily, like with a um, um, RFID reader built into a wristband, that means that basically you can have this immediate access to all information and services about anything that you touch. So we built this RFID reader. It has its onboard battery. It has a Bluetooth radio. It has the RFID reader. It has uh, some accelerometers as well. And so the way you use this is you wear this all day long, 
And whenever you touch something, and there's an RFID tag within um, six to eight uh, inches, the system reads that tag, sends the tag to your cell phone via Bluetooth. Your your, uh, cell phone contacts a server, looks up information that is relevant to the object that you just touched, say it's a book, for example, it then, your cell phone, if you then flip it open, turns into an opportunity to access all this information and, and services that are related to that object that you just touched. So if I touch a book, I flip open my cell phone, it says press one to order a copy, press two to read reviews, press three to leave a message in this book for someone else, press four to retrieve messages that other people have left in this book, Press five to do a keyword search in this physical book, etc. So that's uh, basically what we implemented. And we went a little bit further. We wanted a person to be able to enjoy the physical object and with both hands, really, and wanted to avoid that they even had to take their cell phone out of their pocket to access all this information and these services related to the object they just touched. So we implemented this um, hands-free kind of interaction mechanism where you use simple gestures to access um, uh, uh, services and information related to that object that you just touched. And you'll see this in the video. So you'll see a person picking a book off a bookshelf and a not-so-subtle signal tells him in his Bluetooth earpiece that there's information available and services available to him uh, about the object that he just touched. He can then use three simple gestures to access this information and these services. So this is actually the menu of opportunities that he goes through just by saying select forward or backward. So uh, when when he says forward, he hears the next menu um, option. Um, he can then say select, which means yes, that's the one I want to access, or previous by going like this. So there's just three simple um, uh, uh, gestures um, that allow you to navigate through this whole menu of services and, and information related to any object uh, that you touch. In fact, we also implemented this for people. <laughs> so we uh, built several of these um, Things and gave people RFID tags as well so that you could shake somebody else's hand and then it would access information related that you have in common. It would basically, at that time that we did the work, Orkut was sort of the, uh, the, the dominant, uh, at least in the research community, social networking site. So it would go to Orkut, compare profiles of people and tell you about things that you had in common and people you knew in common and so on as you were shaking uh, the other person's hand. Um, Now, um, I realized sort of after doing some of this work that actually after 20 years I was sort of going back to where I started (laughs) and that what we we were really doing is uh, sort of making an interface for Uh, programming um, for physical objects, actually, or allowing physical objects to be um, programmed. So we're creating meta-objects for every physical object around us, a laptop, a speaker, whatever it is, people, um, and then um, specifying um, a list of um, methods and attributes that things have, etc. So there's classes like 
people and places and objects, and in objects there's products. Products can be purchased, uh, so they have a price. They may have ratings, reviews. There's methods that you can activate, like buying a product, leaving a review, listening to reviews. Of course, there's subclasses, like um, uh, there's fiction books, uh, fiction books, non-fiction books. There's individual instances of things, like my copy of... Bill Mitchell's uh, City of book, uh, Bits book, which uh, is located in a particular area and is bought this particular date. And there's all sorts of amazingly cool, or I think so, <laughs> stuff that you can do. Like you can ta- um, track like when you read particular books or a system can tell you when you pick up one book that that book references a book that you were reading two weeks ago, etc. So there's all these cool... Um, sort of inter-object things that can be done as well, but with physical objects and the meta-information that exists about them as opposed to uh, virtual ones. So I feel like I'm kind of going back to um, my own origins in research, but also the ones of uh, Uppsala, I guess, uh, because after all, uh, with uh, the first object-oriented um, sort of language, similar. Um, started out this way or was modeled after the physical world and, and making simulations of the real world uh, in, in virtual objects and in a virtual world. And, and what we're doing now is basically creating um, virtual objects to manage interactions and information and services related to physical objects. Um, So let me tell you about a couple other projects that we've done uh, like this. Um, So in all of our work, we try to identify what it is that a person currently is focused on uh, and what their context is so that we can make all these... um, Oops, sorry. um, So that we can make all this information available proactively to a person. In this project, instead of a person having to touch an object to be able to interact with all the information and services about that object, you can just look at an object or a part of an object. Uh, We actually put an infrared uh, transmitter on a simple Bluetooth uh, earpiece, um, and we have all these... um, know whether there's a pointer. No, but we have all these little green beacons, infrared beacons that you can put on everything around you, for example, on all the different parts of this car engine. And you can then just look at a part of the car engine and based on where you are looking, the system receives the infrared signal from certain beacons and not others and then offers information and services, again, related to whatever part you're looking at. So you'll see that in Would the you video like to hear here. About the so we hear what yes. she hears. Do you see the intake manifold? Yes. And she can just focus on oh thank you. She can just focus on particular objects to access information about them or potentially leave information so to associate with these objects. EGR valve. Yes. Do you see the EGR valve. No. Look around for the EGR valve. Do you see the EGR valve? Yes. The exhaust gas recirculation valve. So sometimes the system actually picks up two identifiers from objects and then actually confirms with the user by blinking the light 
that um, it is talking or that, that this is the one that you want to hear about or access information and services about. Um, so we've used this in applications for um, maintenance as well as tutoring or teaching a person about a car engine. And the nice thing is that instead of having to read a manual or look at web pages about this car engine, you just look at the real thing and um, access all the relevant uh, information. We also built a ring version of this system. So we built this uh, ring which has a small Bluetooth radio, an infrared transmitter, and so you can just point, you wear the ring on your finger and you just point at objects and then use um, either speech or uh, other methods to basically access, again, information and services based, uh, that are um, uh, about the uh, object that you're just uh, pointing at. So we implemented an application uh, for some of our sponsors of uh, a smart um, supermarket or a supermarket with smart shelves. And the way this works is that you enter in your cell phone your profile for what your dietary preferences are, like you are allergic to peanuts, you want no trans fats or whatever. And as you go uh, through the supermarket grabbing objects of the shelves, your ring communicates with the tag in front of that object and can compare whether the um, attributes of that, ob uh, of that object match your preferences and it glows red if it's not a match or green um, if it is a match. And some people joke that their wives may like put in the profile for them. Um, so you see the person pointing at the different um, products on the shelf and it glows red or green or orange, etc., based on what your particular preferences are. And what's going on in the background is that the system, of course, compares all the information about these products with your personal profile to determine uh, whether it's a match or, or not. So in all this work that we're doing, um, we have a lot of technical challenges on software and hardware side. Um, one is, of course, detecting the focus of the user. What is a person focused on? What do they want information about or what, what information uh, might be useful? Um, a second um, challenge is to um, often we try to personalize the information that is presented because, of course, when you are presenting information while a person is on the move or maybe talking to someone else, etc., you want to condense the information and, and find um, uh, sort of the nuggets of information that will be the most useful, the most relevant for this particular person and their preferences and so on. So a lot of our work is still about... Um, using filtering methods, personalization methods, recommendation systems, etc., to narrow down what information is being presented. Um, and then the third problem is that we want to offer this information and these, these services without disrupting the person's um, uh, life too much. Right now, um, of course, when we want to access any information, whether it's on a laptop or on a phone, you basically have to completely drop whatever you're doing, um, interrupt whatever conversations you have to access your little keyboard and so on and look up some information. And we're trying to change that and really allow a person to 
um, use the affordances of the physical object and, and the physical surroundings with being able to access all this information and these services about the situation that they find themselves in. Um, here's another uh, project that we did, and what is interesting about this project is that we decided uh, to do a project where the objects in a person's physical neighborhood can actually attract the attention of a person. So instead of the person here focusing their attention on a book or a laptop or whatever it is and accessing information, we have the objects, we, we let the objects compete sort of to attract the user's attention. And uh, the way we do this, um, and I'll show you the video. I'll just turn off the sound a little bit there. Um, so we, it's a more clumsy implementation on earlier one, but we have all these um, augmented objects, augmented books, and when a user passes by the bookshelf, your cell phone communicates via Bluetooth with a server in that room that serves all the objects in that room, and the objects that are a good personal match for your interests light up. So it's different for every person. And then you just take your cell phone to see, well, uh, why is this recommended to me or what information, uh, what is this book about? You can look at the reviews of the books that are trying to like grab your attention and so on. And... You can search for information in the surrounding books using a simple keyword search. So one day I did this for my own bookshelf just out of curiosity, typed in my own name. We linked to the API on Amazon to find all the books that mention my work and then they all lit up or the few that actually talked about it lit up. Um, but then again, it can show you the uh, uh, the paragraphs where that particular keyword that you searched for is mentioned. So you can do a search in, a, in your physical bookshelf, basically. Another functionality that we implemented is that when you pick up a book, books that are similar light up. So books that are um, using a recommendation system, books that are related actually light up and uh, show you that they may be relevant as well to whatever you're doing right now. I don't know whether... I think that's... Yeah, that's it. Um, so continuing on this same theme... <laughs> One day, um, this is actually not my office, but my office looks pretty similar to this one. I use a lot of stickies, and, and actually, I mean, Robert was saying, I don't know how she does all these things that she does, but the, the secret answer is stickies. Uh, I have lots of stickies that remind me of things I have to do and lots of lists and so on. Um, but so one day I, I realized, well, stickies are so important, and it's one of the most useful inventions of the 20th century, but they're not electronic. They don't have some electronic like counterpart or, or meta object or whatever. Um, so we uh, set about trying to sort of bring stickies into the 21st century. And um, basically what we do is, um, let me actually first show you this. 
we just bought a, a simple little digitizer um, that digitizes whatever you write when you write on a sticky. And, um, and then, of course, save that bit image uh, in the computer. But we also use standard um, uh, handwriting recognition software, uh, Microsoft's uh, uh, software, actually, in this case, to recognize the words that the person writes. And then we build some um, knowledge, some common sense knowledge about what people mean when they write on a sticky. So we looked at a lot of people's stickies to see like, what do people use stickies for. And we identified a number of uh, classes of stickies or types of stickies. Like there's the sticky to remind you of a meeting. There's a sticky to remind you to do something. Um, a sticky to remind that you use as a tag, for example, in a book. Um, so... We, all, um, we basically identified these different categories of very commonly used um, uses of uh, stickies and then support those in the system so that, for example, if you write... Um, let me figure out this thing. Um, oops. If you write, like, 2.30 meet Patty at Kendall Square, what it does is actually... It, puts an entry in your uh, calendar at 2.30 for a meeting with Patty in Kendall Square. Um, if you write a message to someone, like if I would write, John, um, there's food in the fridge or something, it looks up John in your address book and offers to send that same message uh, via SMS to John's telephone number. Uh, so we take all these actions in basically... Um, uh, sort of uh, merging your stickies, your paper uh, pieces of information with uh, your electronic uh, document uh, system. And last but not least, we put um, RFID tags on the backs of all the stickies and RFID tags are getting cheaper and put um, RFID readers in the different parts of my office so that I can actually do a search for all my stickies. Like I can say, well, what are all the stickies that say urgent? And it shows me all the stickies and it tells me where they are located. It says on the uh, second shelf uh, 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 of your bookshelf, there's a sticky that says this or that looks like this and that has the word urgent in it. So you can actually keep track of your physical belongings um, and use these stickies as uh, paper tags that you can then search through later on. So let me show you a video um, of that system. The student uh, who's been doing this work is just a first-year master's student, so he did all of this in just a few months' time, actually. Um, So you see the, well, the capture of what you write on the sticky. Um, and here he wrote, hey, Pranav, I'm going to the market. So Pranav gets a message on his cell phone. The system looked up Pranav's cell phone number in the address book, etc. Here he writes, 2.30, meeting with Paddy. And... That results in an entry in his calendar, but he also gets a message on his cell phone at 2.15 to remind himself. That was a to-do list, and you see what happens with the to-do list here. He's tagging a book, and then later 
these are actually all the stickies that the system still sees in your office. You can do a search for all the stickies that mention PADI, and it tells you where it's located based on the RFID readers, and that's where the book is. So it helped him uh, find that book uh, that he had borrowed from me um, using these stickies. In some more recent work even, we're sort of exploring a new direction, um, which is um, that of input-output materials. In all the projects that I discussed so far, what we do is we tag, we take existing objects and we tag them with stuff so that we have an identifier and we can link information uh, to them and and we put sensors on them so they can sense that we're interacting uh, with that object. But in some recent um, work uh, by uh, two of my students, we're actually experimenting with materials that have inherent capabilities for input and output so that instead of having to add a tag later on to an object, you can just build your objects, the objects around us, out of materials that can sense and display information. So I'll show you some of our early work in this area. Um, We've worked on textiles um, that have um, arrays of sensors in them and um, touch sensors as well as arrays of LEDs so that the textile itself can um, act as the interface or the object itself, in this case a pillow, can act as the interface. And actually the particular application, some of you may think (laughs) this was fun, that we implemented here was this uh, pair of two pillows that are... Um, they, they are on your Wi-Fi, connected to the Wi-Fi in your house. You have one of them, and your uh, significant other has one of them. And imagine that you're at a conference in your hotel. You bring your pillow, and you can actually send messages back and forth um, to your significant other just by touching the pillow. <laughs> so we call it pillow talk sometimes. <laughs> um, so it's this private SMS Uh, channel for you and your significant other, (laughs) so you don't even have to open your phone or anything. Um, Here's another project. Uh, This is actually um, uh, some current work on paper that can act as input and output, and you'll see some of it in the video. Um, This is a card that we did with with a sponsor, Hallmark, for that can replay what somebody writes on a card. So Hallmark is looking into uh, productizing this actually now so that people can record uh, handwriting on a card, a paper card, send it in the mail, and when you open the card, it's blank, but then the message appears using the same timing uh, that the person used when they wrote a card. Um, Another one of my students is actually printing uh, circuits directly on paper and making paper from scratch using pulp that has embedded uh, electronics. Um, I'm just going through these a little more quickly because they may be slightly less relevant. um, But um, the Shutters project um, is a project that the same student is actually experimenting a lot with um, uh, nitinol wire, um, the wire that has memory. Uh, basically, when you warm it up, it takes on a particular shape. So he built um, these little curtains or shutters, and you can actually control every one of these little uh, shutters individually. There's a nitinol wire on each side that can open or close uh, the shutter, 
And so he's looking at applications for that, like a curtain that casts a shadow only where you are reading a book in the room and everywhere else it lets the sunlight come in. Or a curtain that acts as a shadow display, like you can see a letter C being displayed because certain louvers are open and others are um, shut. This is uh, work by the same student where we embedded these nitinol wires in some strands of wool and so they can act as sensors as well as, um, as actuators. I'm showing it again. Note the ones on the top and how they wiggle when you touch the ones on the bottom. So basically you can use, you could have a physical object with little, little knobs like this where like it, looking up some information or invoking a method or something would be as simple as just touching a little part um, of that object. Another project that I think may be of interest specifically to this group is um, a recent uh, project on, um, we're basically building these tiny little computers um, that each have, um, well, their own uh, processor. They have, oops, let me, uh, they have infrared to see their neighbors. They have accelerometers in them so you can pick them up and they can notice gestures. They have their own uh, screen. And um, we are exploring what we can do with these little siftables um, in terms of totally changing how people interact with information. So you can see that they can see their neighbors if we put two of these next to each other. Um, the, it plays the right video where they look at each other. Um, but really, I mean, while this is just a fun little application, what this is all about is um, the embodiment of data in a physical form so that, for example, you can play with some little video clips that you have or whatever just by, um, <laughs> by interacting, using your hands to like, move things around. So we're actually looking at um, how we can use these siftables to... Um, embody pieces of data, let these pieces of data interact with them, um, each other, etc. very much um, in a similar vein as uh, sort of uh, object-oriented uh, programming, except that every one of your objects, sorry, I showed that one already, every one of your objects can be located or embodied by a physical brick um, or a little um, computer like that, and um, invoking certain methods or having them message pass or whatever can be done by having them, uh, putting them next to each other, etc. So I think that this platform could be an ideal uh, platform for teaching uh, programming and object-oriented programming where people can just see it all right there and manipulate things with their hands and interact and, and put, uh, make things interact with one another um, just using their hands so in summary, um, with all of this work, we're trying to radically rethink um, how people access information. And specifically, we're interested in linking the world of information into uh, the physical world, offering just-in-time, we call it, just-in-time information, information that is highly relevant to whatever a person is currently doing, whatever they're currently focused on. 
And we're trying to do that in a very non-disruptive way that is easily um, accessible uh, to people, a seamless way. And we're hoping that in many situations, um, when we have this cross-linking between the, the world of information and the physical world, that we can avoid having to go to a traditional keyboard and screen to access uh, some information or to find information that is relevant, but we can just interact with the objects themselves and this meta-information about the object and any uh, procedures, information, whatever related to that object becomes instantly available because you are paying attention uh, to the object. Um, so that's um, my talk, maybe a little bit shorter than <laughs> we planned, but um, that gives us time for questions. Thank you. <laughs> and there's, I should say, there's uh, all the papers. I didn't give a tech, decided not to give a technical talk after a week of uh, being here. I, I, I thought more videos would be better. <laughs> but uh, there's papers about all the different uh, uh, projects that I talked about that have been published in different conferences, and everything is available on our website. So. Hi. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, in this day and age, we have a lot of uh, electronic gadgets to carry around. Mm -hmm. And uh, seeing another one that you have to walk around with seems a bit mm -hmm. uh, hard to sell to the masses. Mm -hmm. um, just wondering uh, if you uh, planned on maybe taking use or advantage of things that already exist, such as barcodes. Maybe we could mm -hmm. tattoo them at the back of our necks <laughs> or um, <laughs> surgically implant <laughs> electronic chips under our arms. Yeah, I actually, I mean, I, I didn't talk about all the projects that we've been doing, but we, we worked with barcodes as well. Not, we didn't exactly like implant them or tattoo them on your neck, but uh, uh, we, um, one of the first systems of this sort that we built was actually 10 years ago was um, um, a symbol technologies PDA that had a barcode reader and you could go up to an object, um, a product, mm -hmm. read the barcode, yep. and it would tell you where you could buy it and for how much right. money it would show you the reviews and so mm -hmm. on. So we've been looking at, at using existing uh, technologies. And another example of that is, um, again, I didn't talk about it here, but we've worked a lot with uh, uh, visual printable markers mm -hmm. um, that um, uh, some of you may be familiar with, semi-codes and things like that. So we've used 2D barcodes and even designed our own sort of system for 2D barcodes. So you can just take a picture using a regular cell phone camera of a two-dimensional barcode, and that translates in an identifier that then can be used to look up information and services. So, cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, secondly, I just wanted to uh, ask you about the ethics and social implications, mm -hmm. because it seems like this is like a marketing's um, utopia, mm -hmm. where everyone has an RFID and all their information <laughs> is everywhere. So how do you yeah. guys deal with yeah. social No, that's an extremely uh, important point, actually. And I personally believe that all of these types of um, functionalities and systems can be implemented in a way that protects people's uh, privacy. Um, and, um, I mean, uh, 
similarly, it didn't happen maybe on the web, but it could, it could have been done on the web or it could have been done in a way that protects people's privacy more. Um, so I think we sh uh, that all of us should be very vocal and involved in um, sort of uh, uh, talking with uh, the business community about the ways in which these types of technologies will be launched. And in the past, I have been very involved in, in that uh, for the web, actually. And uh, we were one of the key sort of authors of the, the first draft of this uh, uh, P3P standard for the web for like uh, uh, protecting people's privacy, etc., and, and sort of in a better way. Do you foresee any kind of resistance yeah. from the government? From the government, or I think businesses. I'm, I'm worried about Google. Everybody, <laughs> <laughs> actually, because it's it's true. I mean, this will open up amazing possibilities for the business community. For example. Google can sell ads based on the fact that you touch something, like I touch a Coke can, and then maybe an ad shows up um, on my cell phone for some uh, uh, Frito-Lay chips or whatever. Um, so suddenly, people's behavior can become something that you can attach ads to and sell ads for, uh, not just locations or web pages, but really objects and everything around us, even activities. Uh, that people in, engage in may result in some ads uh, being shown, etc. So, um, I mean, related to, um, I, I think we really have to think and, and come up with solutions for the whole um, privacy problem and, and offer, and I, I personally believe that there are technical solutions that these things can be implemented in ways that uh, safeguards people's privacy. Okay, thank you. I look forward to the uh, online date matching, walking down the street system. Or things like I hadn't thought of the P3 protections. That's mm -hmm. certainly one way you could uh, do some of that. Um, um, two other things that just kind of came off the top of my head is, you know, everything shouldn't be public. Mm -hmm. Something should be private methods, friendship, whatever mm. kind of stuff yes. you have there. And the, the, the third thing is going way back Mm -hmm. Rings of protection. Rings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'll bet you that yeah. that none of those is adequate to mm -hmm. solve all the mm. all of the privacy problems yeah. in and of itself, and it'll be some combination. Yeah. But yeah, especially when it concerns information about people. Um, every year, I deal with applications to our uh, graduate program actually and, and people sent me their application and, and I look at all of that and then they have a link to their website and I follow that link and then there's a link to personal and then it shows all these pictures of them partying and whatever. And I think already we already have this problem right now that um, there, you should have a way of saying sort of what is uh, viewable by everybody or which things, uh, who can see what or who can access what, etc. And it's already the case for web information, but even more so when you can just shake someone's hand and find out uh, maybe what they, you have in common or what that person is interested in and so on. Um, I think this will be a very uh, relevant question. And actually, one of the projects that we're working on is a project of that sort where you decide on the fly sort of how much information to make available about yourself 
when you are um, in the vicinity of some other people and we're looking at like that if you're closer to a person does that mean that maybe you want to convey more of the information about you and so on and um, so we're looking at all of these and, and experimenting with all of these ideas. Uh, hello. Are you doing research on body area networks as well? Um, actually, one of my colleagues is, is one of the founders of this whole field, uh, Joseph Paradiso, and he usually is involved in running the conferences and so on. So we have that work going on. Um, at the media lab and, and one of the reasons why I as a software person was able to move more into this uh, direction where we use uh, all these sensors and so on is exactly because we have uh, Joe Paradiso um, sitting right next to me <laughs> and uh, I can go and ask him questions about stuff so. but I'm not personally doing as much of that type of work yeah yeah, I'm interested in your use of pragmatics for interpreting those sticky notes. Could you mm -hmm. elaborate a little bit uh, on any sort of non-textual interpretation of those, like when people cir circle things, underline things, like yes. what sort of... Uh... Actually, I mean, like I said, the, the stickies project is only like six months old or not even that old uh, at the moment. And uh, one of the things, right now, most of the information is based on the uh, handwriting and the text uh, that is recognized. But the student is actually looking at other more visual things right now as well, like when people put a star in front of an item on a list, that typically means that it's more important. Or when you put a check mark, it means that you've done it, etc. So this is actually one of the things that he's uh, looking at um, right now is, is specifically sort of interpretation of other types of um, data on these stickies. Again, there's a paper about the stickies thing, um, that, that can be downloaded from the website. If, yeah. I was just wondering if you were doing any work with um, GPS and if you think that mm -hmm. the availability of GPS data in more and more devices is going to have an impact. Yeah, we, I didn't talk about it here because we, most of that work we did almost 10 years ago, actually. Um, but yeah, definitely GPS, I think, is sort of the first um, data that we'll use to link information to the physical world. But I think the work that we're doing now is going a step further in that every object or even a part of an object can be something that uh, you link information to or access information about. But GPS will really be, um, is already kind of the first way in which some of these ideas are being rolled out. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Oopsla podcast. If you want to know more about the Oopsla conference or if you want to get additional Oopsla podcast episodes, visit the conference website at oopsla.org. This episode, as well as the other episodes of the Oopsla podcast, are licensed under a Creative Commons license. The intro and outro music is by a band called The Plugs. The song is called Go East.